The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So make sure you have what you need to be comfortable. Probably the first order of business is to take the time to appreciate that we got to the end of six weeks. And you can see it's a very different number than was here the first week, first couple of weeks. And, you know, maybe it's for some of, some of the folks, not their cup of tea, but probably a lot of people felt, feel like we feel. But for whatever reason, they had different causes and conditions in their life, different circumstances, and aren't able to finish. And it's nice to reflect on that because it can make us really appreciative. It's a real privilege to not be in such a crisis, financial, emotional, whatever kind, that we can be a little bit more reflective in life. And in the great scheme of human history, it's a relatively rare thing for human beings to have as much privilege, you know, not dealing with intense oppression, intense poverty or whatever, ill health, being sick. They have enough space in their life, enough privilege in their life to be able to be a little bit more reflective. Okay, what's going on here? I don't know if I mentioned in one of the early weeks, I often do, but you know, it's kind of amazing. If asked, we'd all admit that the nature of the mind is relevant, like that we have a mind, that there is awareness is like relevant, right? But isn't it interesting how, when you actually look, like how percentage of waking moments have we actually been interested in the mind? We're just too busy. But yet, clearly, it's the most relevant thing about being alive is that there is a mind. And whatever the mind is and whatever it's doing is really relevant in terms of happiness and what we set in motion in terms of happiness and stress in our own life and in those around us and just generally in the wider world. So that's what I mean, like how rare it is that we have the right amount of time the right circumstances, the appropriate teachings to have this encouragement to be a little bit more reflective. And hopefully, if you've been experimenting with practice at home, showing up for most of the six weeks, or many of you have been practicing and studying for many months and even years, some of you, but then you have your own direct evidence that using the mind to study the mind in a direct, not philosophically, not intellectually by reading, but using awareness and in a sense shining awareness back on itself, using the mind to study the mind, which is why we don't do it because it feels a little weird or even self-conscious, like should I really be this self-reflective, you know, maybe I'm not supposed to be noticing. And it can feel a little tight or awkward at first when we're training the mind, really developing this reflective 
muscle of the mind to be reflective, like remember the image or the simile of the mirror. Like we're realized dusting off and realizing there's this very simple but perfect mirror. This is this capacity of the mind we call reflective awareness or mindful awareness. It's like a mirror that can very beautifully, effortlessly, powerfully reflect back what the mind is doing and with some continuity, with some stability of that awareness, not just what the mind is doing, but what it's setting in motion. What are the ethical, moral implications of what my mind's doing? So if my mind's grumpy, that mindful awareness sees, oh yeah, grumpiness is like this, but it not only sees that grumpiness is like this, it sees the contraction that being grumpy, being complaining, being judgmental, directly sees what that's setting in motion like. And it's making the heart tight, making the body and the heart-mind tight. Or that reflective awareness, mindful awareness, can reveal that the heart is really content or calm or kind, loving, right? So it's not always bad news. Oh yeah, kindness is like this. Kindness feels like this. And it sees and it's setting in motion something beautiful, something good, something trustworthy, not contraction. Relating in a kind way, not in a pretending to be kind way, but an authentic kind way, authentically kind way. We see directly, we feel directly how things work better. And the whole practice you see over years of sincere practice There's a very particular taste. The Buddha mentions this. He says it's an unforgettable taste of freedom. A freedom, the reason it's called like an unforgettable taste, another one of my teachers, this Burmese Buddhist monk, his name is Sayadaw Utejaniya. One of your handouts, if you've looked through the handouts, is Sayadaw's, Sayadaw just means teacher. It's in a, a Burmese term for a, monastic teacher, a meditation teacher, a Buddhist teacher. And he's a Buddhist monk, and his name is Tejaniya. And, uh, but his handout that is on one of your handouts is uh, something like 16 aspects of right attitude for meditation. Or do you, Have you seen that? The, just a list of things that reflect or that point in the direction of what right attitude looks like when we're doing this practice. But, um, so what was I talking about? What did Saida Utejaniya say? Yeah, this taste of freedom. Oh yeah, and so what he says about this taste of freedom is that each time the mind senses or intuits or wakes up to the possibility of being intimate, being engaged, but without attachment, that's this insight into freedom. It's always surprising. It doesn't matter if somebody's told you every single day of your life, there really is freedom in life. There is a way to be engaged, to be a parent, to be a lover, to be a responsible citizen, trying to make the world a better place, but not attached, not caught in greed, anger, and delusion. When we actually experience a moment of the mind not attached, it's always surprising. This is his teaching. 
insight or the taste of freedom is always surprising. Even if you've heard about freedom, spiritual freedom, non-attachment, the heart that doesn't cling hundreds or even thousands of times, when you actually taste that in your mind directly, like to be in the world complete, like for us, it will be a glimpse. It won't be like forever. But to have a glimpse, to have a few moments where there's no fear in your heart or mind or no needing the moment, needing things to be different than they are. It's like forever we've been carrying an 80-pound backpack on our back. So long, we have no idea we're carrying a backpack on our back that weighs that much. And then all of a sudden, it falls off the back. It's like unforgettable. We may, because of the force of habit, pick that backpack up and carry it, you know, and be mean again or grumpy again or aversive or irritable or needy, greedy, disconnected, in denial, distracted, right? These patterns of the personality have momentum. We may pick that backpack up, but then from then on, to some degree at least, we'll know we're carrying a backpack and we don't have to. Right, because we have that taste of freedom. I can be a human being in this very messy world, this imperfect world. And when I say imperfect world, I don't just mean about politics. I mean our personality is also imperfect, right? It's not just other people who are imperfect, or weather that's imperfect, or our pet that's imperfect. Everything is messy in life, including our personality including having a body, right? It's all messy. And I don't know if you know this, Raj, but I had an Indian teacher, and he says there's like a folk tale or folk wisdom in India that says uh, the curly tail of a dog and that you can straighten it, but it gets curly again. Have you heard that? Yeah. Yeah. And and that's like, this is a teaching about the messiness or the, the fundamental nature of imperfection. It's not like a problem that my personality is imperfect or your personality is imperfect or Calm Ground Meditation Center as an organization is imperfect or it's built into the <laughs> to the world. Nothing is perfect. You know, when we go to the seashore, it looks sort of perfect or the woods, but it's not. It's just what it is. You know, there are dead trees. There's... You know, it's a mess. That wave wasn't perfect. But we're just like in the habit of, oh, yeah. But nothing. It's all kind of what it is. And the real freedom is realizing a mind, a heart, that doesn't have a problem with things as they are. So you see then that's why our formal training, like sitting meditation, looks the way it does. Because we sit down in a comfortable way at home, at a meditation center. We sit up, kind of expressing this intention to be awake, to be right in the middle. We relax in order to support the intention to be unafraid. And we practice being equanimous. Like, whatever happens, whatever shows up as memory or as thought, whatever shows up as emotion, whatever shows up as sensation, whatever shows up as sound, and sight, smell. We practice being right in the middle, 
letting things come and go, right? So this is why the form of sitting relaxed and alert is this, it's like the expression of this confidence, however feeble it is for us in any moment, this confidence in freedom, the freedom of non-attachment, of not needing to fix the messiness of my mind, the messiness of my sitting body, the messiness of whatever I imagine is on my to-do list or other obligations or the world that needs my attention. But for that 30 minutes or 45 minutes or five minutes, you know, that you have set aside for your formal meditation practice, it's like I'm willing to let everything move, every emotion, every sight, every sound, every thought, and I'm okay just letting the world be the way it is. And the only difference between formal sitting, and I'll talk more about taking the practice into daily life, maybe the last 15 or 20 minutes tonight, and this is really the handout for week six, so you can have that for your notes, but I'll, I'll come back to it. But the only real difference between sitting meditation and your daily life is like when we're letting everything move when we're sitting, we might have our anchor, the breath moves, or maybe you're feeling the whole body with the dance of sensations, physical sensations, they're moving. But in daily life, when we get up off the cushion or the chair and we brush our teeth and go to work or engage the people we live with, the only difference is there's just more moving, right? like me talking or me listening or me moving my body. But it's really the same as just letting everything happen on its own. But when we're doing the formal sitting practice, we're letting everything happen on its own, but we're on purpose holding the body still to create kindergarten because it's a difficult practice to let everything happen on its own. So we have a quiet space, we hold the body still, and then we let everything happen on its own within that context. And then daily life practice is we give up that formal ritual of sitting still, sitting in a quiet space, a serene space, and we let this thing we call me, the body and mind, walk into life and do what's next, show up, engage. But we're letting, but the awareness, that mirror is our refuge. So instead of me doing Tuesday evening, you know, it's the awareness knowing that Tuesday evening is being done, right? Mark's, here it is. The personality, the momentum of me doing this, it's doing it. And I could keep inserting out of habit a me who's got to give the talk or me who's got to do the guided meditation or has to sort of pick up like what might be good to talk about on the last night. And that would be neurotic to keep inserting a sense of a me who wants to do it right, who wants to be seen as skillful or whatever. And it's so much more enlivening and liberating instead of inserting a me to cultivate this reflective presence. This is all being known. Not just out there being known, but also whatever I'm feeling emotionally, in terms of sensation, terms of my cognitive processes, you know, the mental activity. It's just stuff being known. It's all happening. 
And even if I think I have to do it, that can also be known. So even if there are neurotic elements, which there almost always are, self-centered activity, right? That also can just be part of the dance that's happening in the moment. That's the mirror is reflecting, oh yeah, here's Mark trying really hard. Or here's Mark not trying hard because if I try hard and you don't like it, then it feels even worse. So I'm going to hold back. And then if you don't like it, it's because I held back. You know, it's like we have, but I don't have to personalize it. I can just see it. All the patterns, right? That's part of what we, how we define somebody who's gotten wise is not that they have a per- perfect personality, but they, they know their personality. Oh, yeah. You know, when I'm in this situation, I tend to get defensive. When I'm in this situation, I tend to talk a lot because I'm insecure. When I'm in this situation, I tend to shut up and be quiet because I'm afraid of making a fool out of myself. You know? In this situation, I tend to come alive because I feel really safe and loved. So I'm, you know, tend to be more natural, more authentic, more, you know, fun. <laughs> and so we just sort of, because we've, we've, in a sense, learned how to take refuge in that mirror-like, non-judging, kind presence. And we're not that mindful awareness presence, its only point is to understand it's like this. In a way, like in a Buddhist system, you only get one desire, the desire to understand. Everything else ends up becoming neurotic. Like even the desire to be good can be neurotic. Because if you desire to understand more deeply what's happening here, being more skillful, being more kind, being more ethical will just happen naturally. Not because you want to be seen as a very ethical, generous, or whatever person, but just because it happens. It's like being aware, being, having that reflective awareness purifies the personality without you, a sense of a me, thinking I've got to fix myself. It's not the efficient way to become a wiser, more skillful, more loving human being. The more efficient, the more natural way is to insert in the middle of this unfolding thing we call me, this unfolding life here, to insert, to develop this capacity to be mindfully aware. And it's like creates a feedback mechanism in that thing we call my life that's unfolding. Because it's observing, it's aware, and so when there's skillfulness unfolding, it's aware that skillfulness is unfolding. Hey, this is really working. Whatever's going on, life is working pretty well. What's going on? Oh, the mind is clear. Awareness is stable. The mind isn't judging itself. It's forgiving itself. It's understanding that everybody's doing the best they can. doesn't mean I, there isn't anything to learn. It just means what's arising right now has already been set in motion, so there's no point to judge this. The only thing of interest is what to do with this, how to relate to it in a way that sets something wholesome in motion. Right? 
And so that feedback mechanism keeps the heart, the mind, our life, whatever this is, it keeps it moving in a direction of more freedom, more kindness, more clarity. So that's what we're doing with our practice. So tonight, as we, for those who weren't here last week, we uh, did the loving kindness practice. And I mentioned we do it here at the center if you want to learn more about it. Always the first Friday of the month from 7 to 8.30. Everyone's invited. It's a drop-in program. It's always a nice uh, seeing that monthly loving kindness practice group. And then over the years, you know, if you can get here for some of those Fridays, you'll understand how to both do it as a formal meditation from time to time, but just as important, how it really changes your awareness practice, your mindful awareness practice, knowing how to do the loving kindness practice. But tonight, just because we're learning, we'll do it as a formal reflection for the first 15 minutes of the sit. And then the second half of the sit, we'll go back to our usual awareness practice. And I won't give very many instructions for the mindfulness practice at the last half, because you've been doing that for most of the six weeks. But I will give a lot of instructions for the loving kindness practice again. And uh, there's places online at our website, you know, when you look at the Dharma talks, you can search and you could just put in loving kindness or the word metta, M-E-T-T-A. That's the Pali word for loving kindness or friendliness. This category of meditation practice, compassion falls in that category as well. And you'll get some guided meditations and other talks on the subject if you want to dig in. You can just listen to some more talks that have been given at the center over the years. But why don't you take a moment, stretch out your legs, stand if you want, so that you'll be comfortable sitting for about 30 minutes. Make sure you get a cushion or the support you need so you'll be comfortable for sitting. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.